IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we're going to be talking about our favorite albums of 2020. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Steve, um, not to not to start on a downer note about the state of being, you know, a music journalist in 2020, but I dedicated, as you know, to Up Rocks, uh, a couple thousand words about the 30 best Deftone songs. Um, I wrote about a 72-minute Smashing Pumpkins album, a new 72-minute Smashing Pumpkins album, mind you. Um, and I did like a two hour podcast about a 1975 album. And I think about all the effort I put into those, those things and none of it will have even the slightest bit of impact compared to me just saying on Twitter, him hey, Mick rib is short for my chemical rib. Uh, this thing I did in like five seconds on the way, uh, like to the snet, to the break room at work and it's, I think it's like the most popular thing I've ever written. But that being said, I'm stoked about it because, you know, every time people have like a viral tweet, they have to like post their SoundCloud or whatever. Um, I'm wondering what this is going to do. I wonder if IndieCast is going to get a bump from this. Maybe this is the time where we start shooting up the Spotify charts, man. Like I can, f- man, I like can you, feel this is our moment. You couched, <laughs> you, you couched so many of your highlights of the week. <laughs> In that little space right there, and you kind of wrapped it in a nice, uh, you know, package of self-deprecation. That that was very well done. <laughs> I I appreciate that. Um, how was that Smashing Pumpkins record, by the way? I, I didn't read your review. Uh, it, I, I assume that I, it, that's a masterpiece. Uh, it's 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 definitely seventy-two minutes long. I'll tell you what. It's actually like this. I would say it was the one I've enjoyed the most since Machina. Um, in the sense that, like, at least it does something different. Like, the problem with the, you know, Oceana and Monuments to an Elegy and um, Zeitgeist is that it all, it they were just kind of depressing in a way because they were similar enough to old Smashing Pumpkins where you could just remind yourself, like, how it's not them. And the, just, like, you know, Smashing Pumpkins in t- 1995, like, ruled MTV. And then in 2007, the best they could do is, like, get five seconds in a Transformers movie. So this one, it's it's got its moments. It just has – it's just – It has its moments. It also has uh, – it is yeah. also 72 minutes of an album produced and written entirely by Billy Corgan. And – He's actually seventy-two minutes doesn't seem like long for him, though. It, I mean, you know, it, the, that could almost be like a, a Billy Corgan uh, EP. Yeah, it's, it's, relatively. A, it's I mean, actually shorter than a door, and it's shorter than Machina. Did he? Did he make a record where he was just playing like uh, like yes. one song that was like on an organ? Was that? A, did he record that, or was that just a live thing? I, I have no. I think that's the one he did at his tea shop. Uh, there, there's right. like so much stuff that he said he's going to do that like he's done, but I can't remember if it was properly released. Like I don't know. Maybe one of these days, like they'll they'll evolve into like a kind of jam band tape trading sort of entity and then we could like approach them from a completely new angle uh oh, I particularly like that. here on indycast where we love to talk about uh jam bands and washed bands from oh, the yeah. 90s so 
Exactly. <laughs> That's what this show's about. Um, although not in this episode, yeah. we're going to be talking about our favorite albums of 2020. Ooh. Ian and I noticed that like no one was ranking albums this year, and we thought we'll be the first people to rank our favorite albums of 2020. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think I think we have some good lists here. I should mention that um, I wrote. Uh, my list out for Uproxx that went up on Thursday. I have a top 20 list there. I'm only going to be talking about my top mm. five in this episode, but if you want to hear me, well, I guess not hear <laughs> me, you, you want to read me talk about 15 more albums, uh, go to Uproxx and read my my top 20 list. Uh, but before we get to our lists, we have our mailbag segment. This is always, always one of my Always putting parts. the fans first. That, that, that's what exactly. we do here. It's all about the fans. Uh, this, uh, email comes from Danny. Thank you, Danny, for writing in. Danny says, hi, Stephen and Ian. Love the podcast. It's one of the very few I listen to, probably because I followed both of your writing for ages and partly because it gets me going down all kinds of rabbit holes for what albums to listen to when I don't know what to do. Does Danny have a, does Danny have a question? (laughs) He does. He does, but you know, I always like to leave in the compliment right. at the beginning because it's it's nice to get compliments. I'm not I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I appreciate the compliments, and uh, I've said this before. If you say nice things about us, pretty good chance I'm gonna pick your question. Or if you have a very funny insult <laughs> of us, then I'll probably read your question. Um, when you were talking about bands who disappeared with a small but great output, like Neutral Milk Hotel, in a previous episode, was that our last episode? Uh, I can't sure. remember. That was yes, a long time was. ago. We took a week off, so it's been a little while. But yeah, we talked about Neutral Milk Hotel a bit in a previous episode. And uh, combined with J.R. White of Girls' death uh, last month, it had me thinking about how uh, disappearing or breaking up in your prime once added mystique to a band, but for more recent bands like Girls, it seemed to do the opposite as they sort of faded from popular consciousness. Um, I don't know the last indie band of note that disappeared... Uh, where it helped their legacy. I'm sure Ian will point out that this seems alive in emo circles. And Danny mentions modern baseball, Empire, Empire. Uh, but emo always always seemed to have uh, more of these short-lived bands and more reverence for them. Um, so I'm not sure if the effect is as strong as it once was. Anyway, is it fair to say that this mystique is gone in the on- online era? Am I forgetting a band whose legacy remains strong or got stronger? Is it just that no indie band would have that kind of legacy uh, to have it improved by breaking up? Or am I just too young to remember all the bands who split up and were quickly forgotten? Is there an indie band or artist in their prime right now that you think would become a bigger deal by 2030 if they just stopped and went quiet? I have a feeling I know what you're going to say to this. Really? There's a band... Well, I was going to say like Hotel yeah. Year for you would, would <laughs> probably be the band. Because, I mean, are they officially broken There's up? A... Or is it just a, assumed? Because like... Because the lead singer is like a professional gambler yeah. now. He, he's making, I'm he, sure, tons more money doing that yeah. than doing indie as, rock. As it turns out, uh, being a, ver- a very skilled online poker player has proven more lucrative for uh, Christian Holden than uh, fourth wave emo or what have you. But um, now I, th- I don't know if mystique is the right word for that. But I think that Danny is correct in that it's almost more natural for emo bands to like generate that kind of, I don't think mystique is the right word to describe modern baseball. They're guys who wore like cargo shorts and Crocs on stage. But there's a romanticism, um, but nonetheless to that, though. Yeah, like, absolutely. You, you, because you go out on a lot, top, I think in, in an emo yeah. and punk generally, there's this, 
ideology of being non-sentimental that like you make your records Mm -hmm. when you're good and then you go away when maybe you're Mm -hmm. not as relevant anymore you go to college (laughs) um yeah but I, i i do think he's right in the sense that like there will always be um, kind of a, a, maybe not a nostalgia, but a aura surrounding bands like Modern Baseball, uh, Empire, Empire, uh, I Was a Lonely Estate. We're going to say the whole name. Um, but as far as, you know, he mentions girls. Um, and I think that's an interesting case because um, had they just kind of disappeared completely, perhaps they would have more mystique. But, you know, Chris Owen went and made a bunch of solo albums that weren't, you know, particularly strong. And I think that uh, with girl, like, I think girls are more indicative of a greater, a greater desire to kind of erase that era of indie rock in so many ways, um, you know. And so maybe people aren't as nostalgic for that just yet. Um, as far as indie bands who could break up... I, I will say though for you know Lil Peep Juice World unfortunately like a in, in some genres I mean in you know in Joy Division as well like death is oftentimes a way to like create mystique you know it's like they just couldn't bear this pain and this talent they had in them but um, I don't know like which indie band like it all it always it always catches you by surprise because like it's always a band that like appealed to a smaller amount of people and maybe they weren't. Uh, so much like a main uh, consideration at the right. time, and then they end up just becoming huge. I mean, like American football, for example, gets brought up a lot. Uh, you, you know, as a band that Mike Kinsella made a ton of music in between 1999 and 2014, but American football made one, and like no one really cared too much about them in 1999. They weren't this. They just happened to have this album that became super influential, and the absence. Uh, created their mystique. Yeah, I was going to say, like, like um, you know, a lot of times you don't know necessarily, like, what band is going to matter to younger generations. Because really, it's about younger generations building mystique. Absolutely. It's not so much people who were around at the time when, you know, that band was active. Like, a band that I'm thinking of, and this is somewhat on a smaller scale, but I think it was felt, certainly in indie rock circles, there's that band Duster, you know, that was like, like oh, of I, course. I think yeah. they were like late 90s or so. And they yeah. were, I think, moderately popular in the late 90s, but like not considered like one of the major bands of, of that era. I, I wrote about them in, I think, 2018 when they put out like uh, some reissues. And they were the type of band who, at their peak, like showed up. I think they were like the fifth biggest band on like K or Up right. Records at, or Up Records at the time, you know, like way behind like 764 Hero. Like that was their status. Which you know? now I feel like more people <laughs> would probably care about Duster than Seven Six Four Hero. I you know I, it's, uh, by by a by, by, by a by landslide. Anything <laughs> I would add too. I think one thing about how bands operate now is that I just feel like bands don't really break up anymore. They don't. They don't. At least in the sort of like formalized, like we're going to make an announcement, we're going to make it official. Uh, there's always these sort of hiatus periods that happen now where. Um, a band might come back after like a decade where they didn't officially break up, but like it was assumed that they were probably done. And then they come back. And as you were saying, like with Chris Owens and girls, it's not just a matter of coming back. You also have to come back with something good. You know, like if you come back or you keep putting yeah. out records that are sort of like, okay, 
that certainly affects how people think of you. But, you know, just looking at 2020, for instance, uh, you know, you think of a band like Hum, for instance, you know, yeah. hadn't put out a record in like 22 years. And I think they were pretty well loved in the 90s. But, you know, a band that like, I think it's certain circles certainly had mystique, but maybe wasn't totally front of mind for a lot of people. But then they come back this year with their album Inlet, which um, is an album, spoiler alert, that end, that is on my year-end list. It's not on the year-end list that I'm going to be sharing in this episode. It's on my bigger Uproxx list uh, that went up on Thursday. But, uh, you know, that's a fantastic record. And, and I think also, oh, you yeah. know, you think of a band like Bright Eyes, too. Like, they came back in 2020. Mm-hmm. And even though Connor Oberst was, like, pretty prolific in the time between like official bright eyes records, there was a lot of excitement for bright eyes, you know, that as an entity. Yeah. So, um, I think that still happens. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's curious to think like who is like the contemporary band that is going to have that kind of appeal to younger generations. And I I don't know, it's like really hard to predict that. I think, you know, we need to get like, um, like a five or a six year old in here. Uh, nah, we need like a third. No, but like the five or six like, year old is going to be a teenager in 10 years is, is my point. Like they're uh, going to be I the guess. kid who discovers a 2020 band, you know, that we're all sort of sleeping uh, on, you know, a band that came and went. Uh, so, uh, very curious to find out what that will be in the year 2030. But for now, let's focus on 2020. We're going to be sharing let's. our year end list. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to share our year-end list, but I'm also excited about something. We have we have something cooking for our next two episodes, like our last two episodes of 2020. We're calling it the Indie Casties, and uh, it's our year-end awards uh, for uh, for 2020. And uh, we're looking to you, the IndieCast listener, just to are there certain categories that you want Ian and I to mm-hmm. uh, give awards for? You know, yeah, think of think of it like a high school superlatives, you know? Exactly. Like, like I mean like one thing that we're gonna do for sure, I think, is like most memory hold album. That'll yes. be a category <laughs> I think we'll do for sure. I think we're gonna do maybe like worst or funniest musician tweet. I think that will be fun. Things We've like got a that. lot of candidates for those. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's fun to talk about like our favorite albums, but you know, like a lot of people are doing lists. And I mean and I, I joked before that we were the only ones doing it. Of course, a lot of people <laughs> are doing it, but we're but we are for sure the only people doing indie casties. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, hit us up on Twitter or uh, email me uh, at Haydenstephen at, uh, at gmail Hit us up with some uh, category ideas, yeah. and they don't and, have uh, to all be like you know most disappointing or like what have you. They can be positive as well. Exactly. Uh, we're, yeah, we're just about positive just, vibes. Exactly. Just things that you don't think might get covered on like a year end list. Like, I mean, most underrated is obviously one or like, you know, best album with the worst like narrative around it or, you know, or or even like album that you rediscovered in 2020 that's not from this year. So we're keeping it very open ended. Absolutely. So that'll be fun. I'm excited to get into those episodes. But before we get to that, let's talk about our favorite albums of the year we each have five records that we're going to be talking about um and there's no overlap on our in our top five which is cool i think it's covering a pretty good range of ground here so why don't you go first ian what is your number five Uh, record of 2020 you know for i i just want to thank 
first off, again, like all of our listeners who've you know followed us on this journey in 2020, and we finally reach our destination where you find out how I'm going to rank Fiona Apple, Waxahachie, Run the Jewels, and Haim in my top four. It was just, they knew it was that. It was just which order. And today you're going to find out. But before that, let's get to number five, which is um, I have Jeff Rosenstock's No Dream at number five. Now, it's, you know, probably not a surprise that it's on my list at this point. Um, what might be a surprise, you know, if you kind of know what my tastes are, is that in before this album like dropped, um, the prospect of a Jeff Rosenstock album in 2020, I was a little nervous about it, to, to be honest. And I think, you know, that's because when I like Post was an album that I reviewed quite highly and I liked it a lot when it first came out. But um, it's not one I returned to a heck of a lot. I think that was a situation where um, it was it kind of wrote out the goodwill of, you know, it dropped on New Year's Day in 2018. That was super exciting. Um, and I also think people really wanted to take the opportunity to uh, you know, kind of make up for the fact that worry wasn't given the amount of praise that it really deserved. So that happens sometimes, you know, you kind of overcompensate on the next record. And so um, just kind of everything that's been happening with Jeff Rosenstock, you know, the, the Neil Young covers, the more shift towards power pop. I, I would wonder if he, you know, if Worry was his masterpiece and he would just kind of go on making, uh, kind of being this, with all due respect, like a super chunk or like a Ted Leo type guy where, you know, the songs rock and they're catchy and the politics are good, but it just, it stops being kind of vital and it appeals to like, you know, this handful of like 40 year old, like washed rock dudes. Yeah. But like no, that, no dream is like, not that like no dream. No is dream like is pretty, not that at all. Yeah. Like it, it, it once again dropped as a surprise release. Like I, 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 I at least got like to hear post two days before it dropped on the low. This one I heard at the same time as everyone else. And it really got back to the fact that like Jeff Rosenstock comes from like bomb the music industry. It had, uh, some real like hardcore D beat um, interludes. It has like the electronics going on, and it just sounded uh, far more um, punk and alive and nasty and angry. And um, and as Jeff Rosenstock albums tend to do, it it isn't about the pandemic in the same way that Worry wasn't about Donald Trump. It was written before that election, but I guess just the trajectory of American life means that we are always catching up with Jeff Rosenstock and everything that he talks about on this album being, you know, like a song like Airbnb, for example, or uh, No Dream or Nike's about, um, I guess, like, consu- like the way like consumerism and disruption uh, like are seen as these positives and just the effect they have on the average person. Um it and of course you know like police brutality and protests um like it's never ever on the nose about being on point with where it's at politically but like when it came out this was like when most of the protests were starting up and it just seemed to capture this sense of like we are so like beaten down um and the the and the way like the pandemic just exacerbated everything else about like uh you know economic you know, instability, um, you know, fear of like, what if the next four years are exactly like this? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I he, he just has a way of doing it to the point where 
I was considering like, whether this album might actually top worry for me, which I didn't think was possible. So yeah. uh, the fact that it's even in the conversation means that y- this has to be in my top five. So yeah, I really like this album a lot. It was just outside my top twenty. It would have been like in my like twenty to thirty range if I would have made a list that long. But yeah, Jeff Rosenstock is. Uh, I I think at this point he is the most consistent. Uh, artist working in like the punk emo realm right now. I feel like if he's putting mm-hmm. out a record, very good chance that's going to be great. Like he has established a track record like with his last several releases where he's extremely solid. So hats off to Jeff Rosenstock. My yes. number five record uh, is by a guy named David Nance. The album is called Staunch Honey. And I've been talking about this record a bit in the past few weeks. I think I've mentioned it at least once or twice here on IndieCast. This is yep. definitely my favorite album of like probably the fall of, of 2020. Most of my albums, uh, most of the albums in my top five came out earlier in the year, but this album kind of really took over for me at the end. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, David Nance, he's from uh, Nebraska. He's been making records uh, since the early 2010s. Uh, he's been pretty prolific. Uh, if you go on Bandcamp, you know, he has several records. Uh, one of my favorite things that he does is he records album-length covers of albums that really kind of go off in very unusual directions. Like he's covered Lou Reed's Berlin. He covered the uh, Beatles for Sale, the Beatles record. Um, and on his own, you know, he's been gradually working in a more refined uh, style. Like his early records are very noisy. Uh, I would liken him to Ty Seagal, except he's not really garage rock. He's more... Uh, in this like Neil Young and Crazy Horse type vein with chugle. like a, with a whole lot of chugle, this is the chugle rock record of the year. <laughs> but uh, I think Staunch Honey is the kind of record that like if his older records maybe would be maybe a little bit too noisy or unrefined for a lot of people, this seems like the album that I think should get more people into what he's doing because I really do think that as far as people working in this sort of like classicist rock vein like he is the best person doing it right now uh and uh this record staunch honey you know again if you like your blue collar heartland rock you can't do much better than than this record this year so definitely in my wheelhouse love staunch honey it's my number five record of the year uh what's your number four um, yeah, this is another band that's similar to Jeff Rosenstock, like I'm very much into, but I wouldn't expect them to make a top five album for me in 2020. That would be Touche Amore's Lament. Um, I thought that stage four, their album in 2016, like I just couldn't imagine how they would top that. I mean, this very cathartic and uh, just devastating record about Jeremy Bohm's mom dying of, you know, stage four cancer. Um, and I heard a couple of songs they did with Ross Robinson a few years back, and they they were good, but I figured maybe this band has kind of reached its limitations. Um, But then Lament comes out, um, and Ross Robinson, a guy who produced At the Drive-In, Slipknot, Corn, this album just, just, it immediately hit me in a way that it's, that, like, was completely unexpected. It's, it's, and like I know that like a lot of hardcore bands they get super corny when they try to really pivot into other things like you know I I think a band like Ceremony who started making like Interpol ripoffs and it, it just fell flat but I think what Touche Amore did here um, wasn't that they kind of switched their sound to a more accessible uh, 
something more accessible to like bring in a greater number of people. I think that they um, made themselves a band that their fans can follow along with because hardcore people love them some Leonard Cohen. They love them some national uh, REM as well. And this record really integrated those influences in a way that seemed very organic, but also turned, um, you know, kind of turned it into this uh, consideration of what it means to be kind of a washed hardcore guy. Um, a lot of the songs are sort of about like thinking about one's own legacy and one's own relationship with music and the people around them. And, um, also it just, it just kicks ass in a way that, um, you know, most rock albums don't really allow themselves to do. And uh, people joke about Ross Robinson, you know, being this new metal guy, the production on this album is better than like I've heard on just about any rock record in 2020. So, Maybe it'll take another five years for them to follow this up, but um, once again, prove me wrong, Touche Amore. <laughs> so my number four record is an album that we've talked about quite a bit on this show, uh, which is Live Forever by Barty Strange, uh, uh, who is my uh, 2020 Indie Rock Rookie of the Year. Uh, not only did Bartiz put out uh, Live Forever, he also put out a really great uh, album of national covers called Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, which took was that those... this that was this year? That was this year. That was early. Oh. I think that was uh February that album came out. God. And then uh Live Forever came out like I think was it like that was October. It was okay. It was, I think that was yeah I think that was like more October. Was that more October? It's hard to know yeah. sometimes because you get promos early. You don't know exactly when yeah. things come out. But um put out two great records this year. Live Forever is his proper debut and um I call him the Rookie of the Year not only because he put out two great records, but he is the artist that I am most excited to hear like what he does next. Because yeah. while I think Live Forever is a great record, it's the kind of record that I feel like is exciting for what it suggests like this person might do in the future. Like there's a lot of things on that record that I'm curious to see like how he's going to develop as he moves forward. Um, it's one of the most ambitious rock records of the year, just in the style of music that it covers. Like you have songs on there like Mustang and Boomer, which are like relatively straightforward, like emo punk songs. And mm -hmm. I think those songs are as good as I heard in 2020 of, you know, of an artist working in that style. But then like by the middle of the record, he's going off in all other sorts of directions, like where there's like elements of hip hop, there's electronic music, there's like dirgy folk music. Mm -hmm. And it's done in a way where it doesn't feel heavy handed or inorganic. Like this is a record that like, I think it's only about 36 minutes long. So it moves mm -hmm. very quickly. And yet it covers, I think more ground musically than many albums. Um, I heard this year. And I'm also excited too. uh, to actually see Barty Strange play live. Like, and I don't know if that'll happen in 2021 <laughs> or, or what, but like just based on what I've seen on video, he seems like a very energetic performer. I think that if, you know, when he is able to tour behind this record or whatever record he does next, I think that will also really help his star rise because he's a pretty mm. infectious performer. I think an infectious personality and he really delivers the goods musically. So, um, Yes, Barty Strange, Live Forever, my 2020 Indie Rock Rookie of the Year, and my number four album of 2020. Yeah, that was good. that's in my top ten as well. And I think I'm excited to hear what he does next. I think it might. I think he's probably going to do a lot of collaborations maybe before the next record. That's just the kind of guy he is. 
Um, and also, I think an interesting point about this is like for a rookie of the year, like he I think he's in his 30s. You know, he's been around for quite some time. And I think that record really reflected someone who's done this for a while and took time to really craft his sound and come up with something original. So, um, yeah. So th- if you feel like you're you know too old to release that debut record, man, like let this album be your inspiration. Um, I think it's fantastic, and I'm, it was really heartening to see people um, unify behind it. Um, so that leads to number three. Uh, speaking of uh, albums people unified behind, uh, that would be the 1975's album, um, Notes on a Conditional Form. Yes. So so the, uh, one, the biggest difference, I think, with 2019 and 2020 was I, uh, the way I found myself listening to music. Um, a lot of the way – a lot of the th- – a lot of the backdrops in which I, you know, experience albums um, were taken away in 2020. Like my commute to work was cut in about half. Um, I switched jobs and like I don't have as nearly as much paperwork to do or notes. And that's usually where I'd get in a zone and like listen to an album for two hours. And so a lot of the times I listen to music in like 15 or 20 minute chunks. And I think that really worked well with this 1975 album, which as we talked about on this podcast before, the beginning sequencing is just makes no no sense at all. But once it actually gets going and there are no interludes or Greta Thunberg talking for five minutes, um, it's an album that's like really compelling to listen to about 15 minutes at a time. Um, <laughs> I, I mean that in a way that uh, and like that's how I experienced it for most of the year. And then when I came back recently to like listen to it, uh, as a whole, I was just, just stunned by how consistent it is once it really gets going. And I think that um, they've – I don't know if the 1975 are going to make albums like this anymore. I see them as a band that's really going to um, kind of look more into maybe like EPs or uh, just different sort of ways of uh, conveying music. But this one stuck to me as like my playlist of 2020, like – for a time where it's like, okay, I need to immerse myself for a little bit. And, um, you know, before I move on to the next thing, and then I'd listen to 20 minutes more because it's as a whole pretty exhausting. But, um, I think this just speaks to the fact that they are a band who know, like they, I think they just exist in such a singular plane that everything they do is interesting. But like at this point, everything they do is still really really good i think that some people have brought up that maybe this is their best album i don't agree with that i think it's maybe their second best i think it's definitely an improvement over uh uh of their previous album uh, which similar to jeff rosenstock i think that album was a little overhyped because maybe people weren't uh properly giving their due to i like it when you sleep um I know this ain't going to be on your list, but to, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> they, they, I think the 1975 is going to be getting an Andy Casty from me, uh, but All probably right. not for a good category. I will say that they are definitely that was definitely like one of the most obnoxious press cycles for me, like the album cycle for that. <laughs> it, like Maddie Healy, <laughs> Maddie Healy was really getting on my nerves this year, and I wrote a review of this album. I I, I came out pretty hard against this album i still don't really like it i think that this band uh has uh uh, how can i put this delicately they enjoy the smell of their own colon okay i'll put it that way like they are very far up the themselves 
yeah, uh, but you're, in their you're, body you're, cavity you're, at this point. You're talking to Smashing Pumpkin super fan number one. That is clearly not a disqualifying well, and, factor for me. <laughs> and, you know, if we want to say I like it is their Siamese dream, and then we're now in the Machina era, you know, then I, I would agree still, with I that. I think we're still a door. I think we're still a door. I okay. Maybe. I don't know. I look. I th- there are things that I think. I think they're more. That I, I think like. they're more comparable to Drake, and that this is their. Um, you know, if you're reading this, it's too late. They. I don't think they've gotten to views yet. I mean, you know, part of my problem with this band, I think, and I'll admit this, is probably how they're discussed because I think that there's a. <laughs> A level of like intelligence and like commentary that's projected onto the 1975 that I think is totally unwarranted. I don't think this band has anything interesting to say. I think that they write some good, good, some good songs. I think you know some good pop tunes, but I think they're a pretty shallow band uh, that are that just deal in signifiers and they and they know the right signifiers uh, to to draw upon if they want to like get critics to write nice things about them. I think Maddie Healy is a canny person in that regard, but in terms of like social commentary, I think he has nothing to say, but you know, I think they have some good albums. I don't think this was one of them, but I appreciate you putting on the list. I feel like this record was kind of memory hold by like a lot of critics who wrote nice things about it in the moment, but I'm not really seeing it show up anywhere on lists. <laughs> Are you? Okay. Maybe I feel I... that way. Not, not, I mean, not, I think most of the one the the list that have come out right now are probably not 1975 centric. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, once again, we're still pretty early in the process. But like, I don't think it's going to show up on as many lists as their previous two. But I don't think it's going to be. Comp- I don't think it's going to walk away like weekend esque, empty handed. You know. <laughs> right. So and Ma- and Maddie Healy comes back to Twitter talking about like how there's a big conspiracy. Uh, you know that. Uh, that would be kind of fun. And he's right. And I'm in on the conspiracy yeah, against the 1975, right. the shadowy cabal trying to stick to <laughs> Maddie Healy. Um, so I guess number three on both of our lists is being reserved for uh, old favorites because my yeah. number three record of the year is Reunions by Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. Um, I love Jason Isbell, as I'm sure mm-hmm. is painfully obvious at this point to anyone who follows me. Um, I made this analogy online uh, a couple days ago comparing reunions to Trouble Will Find Me, the national record, in that it's a record that came, that comes about six or seven albums deep into an artist's career. I think Trouble Will Find Me was the sixth national record, um, and this is the seventh Jason Isbell record. And it's, it's the point in the discography where a lot of times you start looking to like older albums being the ones that people are the most excited about and where people maybe appreciate the new record, but they don't really feel all that passionate about it. And I feel like for me anyway, trouble will find me was like, ended up being one of my favorite national records just because it felt like, Oh, this is them sort of doing what they do in the best possible way. And I feel like that is what reunions is for Jason Isbell. I also feel like this is the record where he fully embraces being like a 1980s style Heartland rocker. You know, mm-hmm. like I think Isbell still is perceived as this folk country artist, but like there's virtually no country music on reunions and there's really not a whole lot of folk music. It, it is mainly these very vibey, big sounding guitar songs mixed with, Jason Isbell's just wonderful storytelling in his lyrics. And again, I think that in terms of like lyric writing, he is one of the best people in the game. There are tons of just great narratives on this record. But 
I think it's also helped by just how robust the music is. Um, and sonically, I think it is probably his most dynamic record. Uh, so this is an album, again, like where I loved it when it came out, but like as the years gone on, much like Trouble Will Find Me with the National, it's become, at this point, I think maybe like my maybe like my second or third favorite Isbell record. I, mean, I think Southeastern is still his masterpiece, but this album, I think, um, is really good, and I really feel like it's going to be the one I revisit uh, as, as much as any Isbell record. So that's my number three album of uh, 2020. What is your number two? album first up i gotta say like that that is such a that is such a beautiful stephen hyden moment of comparing a jason isbell record to a national record well that you is... know <laughs> exactly it's spider-man it's, it's versus spider-man it's yeah hey man we're in the dead yeah, rock I, vortex I, I, here yeah i think with jason isbell is i mean i, I respect the hell i do it i would say it's like college football twitter core maybe um that's a very distinct uh, well, genre of music well that, he, he, and and he's been tagged with that but you know yeah like sports writers they love bruce springsteen and they yeah. love isbel I, and I they think love that, run the jewels yeah and that's like but like isbel yeah going back to the heartland rock thing i think when you looked at the 80s and you had people like you know springsteen tom petty bruce springsteen john mellencamp the like that sort of class of rock artists that now typically get classified as americana like you know Isbell is like the reigning iteration of that right now. Yeah. I think he's like the best version of that, and I, I think know. that they, I think I, I think this is the record that like where he really embraces that yeah. type, like where musically it sounds like that kind of stuff. It's not I, just I, I I gotta respect that, and I feel as if like I won't fully get into his solo work until like I have kids. Maybe I'll just like adopt some kids for a week and like see if that really makes me understand how to you know appreciate jason isbell's music once I you mean, have kids you'll love jason isbell and you'll start being irritated by maddie healy oh god i don't know it's you know as as as, as enticing as that sounds but <laughs> let's let's get okay so my number two album um is record setters i owe you nothing um this it feels a little weird to like be to have an album that is this high on my list that isn't really i mean it's it's gotten some notice in some places but it's still like maybe it's it's still quite an obscure album on the whole um but of course that's kind of what happens when you deal within like you know screamo and post hardcore and i think that 2020 for me it's tough for me to tell whether this was just an exceptionally strong year for like the more louder versions of emo or like post hardcore or screamo or whatever you want to call it or whether I was just paying more attention to it because um, you know, it, it just really suited my needs this year. And I think the issue with, you know, the how many great records there are in this realm is that it can be hard. It is very much a niche and it can be hard to like recommend it to people who aren't necessarily like following this world because most of the albums are like 18 or 20 minutes long and they... Um, they don't immediately signify like, oh yeah, this is a massive leap for the genre or for the band. And when I first heard Record Setter's album, it was sent to me by the band as it was like one track on SoundCloud. It was one 32 minute track or so. And to me, even though it's still very much in that realm of, um, you know, like uh, scrams, if you will, 
the segues between songs and the way it used dynamics led me to believe it almost sounded like an Avalanche's record to me, the way they kind of pasted things together and made it sound like this full body of work. And it gave it this kind of heft and excitement, like, wow, these guys are really going for it uh, to a degree that could possibly reach beyond uh you know, the, the the type of person who might just put like Gulch or Nouvelle Lascura on or Infant Island on their year end list. Um, this it, it it reminds me of like the the more accessible parts of Touche Amore and the less accessible parts of like the Hotel Year or something or something along those lines. And or also against me's, um, you know, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, a lot of the album relates to um, uh, the trans the transition of Judy Mitchell, the lead singer. Um, but in a way where it could just be about like, you know, ripping up and starting over anything uh, in one's life. I love the way that this band engages with their audience with putting on e-gigs and putting out videos and so forth. And um, will this uh, I, I just hope that more people kind of discover this because um, it, it can feel a little bit lonely, like having albums up this high on your year end list that aren't like the big narrative ones, you know? Um, so I am fully on board with this one. If, if you get anything from this episode, or at least from what I say, like just the first three, if you're not in by the first three minutes of this record, by all means move along. But like the first three minutes of this album, if you like it, you're going to love this one. It, it, It just hits that immediately. And I see myself listening to this one. I think it's kind of a genre standard going forward. Um, and hopefully people will, uh, agree with that. So my number two record of the year is my favorite hardcore album of 2020, which is Rough and Rowdy Ways by Bob Dylan. Mm. And uh, look, I'm a huge... He's kind of got that gruff sort of, uh, you know, fest, uh, like like PBR sort of voice nowadays, you know? Oh, yeah. And, he you can, know... He can do Iron Sheik or Ladderman covers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing with this record is, you know, obviously when Bob Dylan puts out an album of, of originals, critics tend to go for it. They are excited about it. This is an album that garnered, you know, ecstatic reviews when it came out. Although it's interesting to me that this album was like pretty much, um, I don't know if it was nominated for any Grammys. I, I It might've been totally shut up by the Grammys. If it was, it wasn't nominated in the major categories, which you uh. would think for like a major Bob Dylan record, it, it it would be. And I feel like even like on critics list, I'm not, I, I'm seeing it here and there, but like not a ton of places. And I think the thing with this record is that um, it's it's a pretty deep record, but it's also like like a I think a proudly silly record at times. Like the thing I appreciate about the, about this album is that you know Bob Dylan this is like his thirty ninth record. He's never made an album <laughs> like this. Like there are songs on this record that like have no melody at all that go on for a really long time. You know, like Murder Most Follow on a Bob Dylan record. <laughs> Bob Dylan records always have melody. There's no song on a record of his like I Contain Multitudes or Murder Most Foul. Like we're we're really talking about like some of the most challenging like songs that I heard this year. Like songs that like have no conventional uh, song structure at all that aren't really based on any kind of like pre-existing idiom unless it's this sort of like like a jazzy kind of music with like spoken word over it. And you would think that it wouldn't work, and yet there this to me this record is always really riveting. Like I am sucked into it there are moments of real wisdom on this record and there's moments on this record that just make me laugh out loud that and it, it's a record that i i think shows him 
still in full command of his craft. But then there's other moments on the record where I feel like he's gone completely off of his rocker. And I just love that aspect of this record. The fact that this guy's 79 years old and can still make a, an album that is unpredictable and you know doesn't color in the lines. And I, I just found it to be really inspiring because like most records I hear, even the ones I really like, it's like I can draw a line from that to something else. But there are songs on this record that I think, again, are just kind of unprecedented. That, like, I've never heard a song like this before, and I don't feel like it should work, and yet he makes it work. And uh, I think it's a real achievement. And as much as a record like this gets praised, I think sometimes albums like this kind of get ghettoized as, like, a prestige item. Or, like, you made some joke before about, like, oh, how lists have, like, the same albums at the top all the time. And, like, you kind of dismiss them for that. But, like, this is not, like, a typical record. And I, I don't think that this is, like, critic bait either. Like, this is a record that I think is pretty risky. And there's things on here that should not work, and yet they do. And, I, and I'm really amazed by it. I think it's, like, a really great record. And I really think that, like, there are songs on this album that are more daring than any other, like, album that, that's on our list. Like, there's no songs like there are on this album that just kind of break the mold of conventionality. And... For an artist who's been around as long as Bob Dylan, I think that's a real sort of inspiring thing. And that's why I love this record. And it's why it's my number two album of the year. Well, yeah, I do. I do respect that, um, you know, Bob Dylan is still kind of doing things that can confound critics. And I think that um, for this album, if like you want to listen to Rough and Rowdy Ways, um, there's really not any substitute for it, which is cool. Um can you bench press or run to it? Probably not. But um, well, you know, some we of all, us don't all, need to bench press to like a know? record. You know, some of us, that's not a qualification for like you know it does, uh, something doesn't have to slap. You know, yes, it, yes, it, it does. It, slapping <laughs> is not like the be all end all of music. You know, so yeah, but like I, you can weightlift to record some, setter, man. I'll listen to the you, Bob you, Dylan record, but like you, right. you, you, while, you, while you when you do your weightlifting, you can listen to record setter and probably like what your number one record you, is. Yeah, but like, you don't have to get. But you don't I'm have not, to give I'm me not a weightlifter, <laughs> you know. And I don't think, and I I just think that's like not a standard that I really care about for music. So, oh, yeah. but but likewise, I think that it's cool that you know you know, people have different priorities because, you know, there are people, there are plenty of people who uh, use, you know, the kind of, I want like well-crafted songwriting or something that like makes me want to like sit and kind of ruminate over things. But I think there does need to be like counterbalance where um, I think being able to put forth, um, you know, energy, uh, you know, this pent up energy is something that can be just as, um, craft based as you know writing a song like murder most foul of course. no one no one's disputing yeah. that hey. no one's no, no one said that that's uh, not, you know I, no I, one I said am, that's not that well crafted i but... am giving lead i am giving lead up to what is my number one album and i feel like i have to kind of qualify it a bit because um you know most of my most of the time when i pick like an album of the year it has to have some sort of like a grander scope to it or uh, a bigger impact on his genre. You know, I think like Glass Beach last year, that was a, you know, just obviously like a big, a big sea change for, I guess, like fifth wave emo or whatever, like Nearer My God, that was also extremely ambitious, uh, pre-cancellation science fiction. Uh, but this year, uh, my number one is Dog Legs Melee, which on the one hand, it's very straightforward. Um, it's uh, I, it's an album that just has a couple of speeds, which are like fast, f- 
faster and much, much faster. Um, and it's every single song could be every song on here could be a single. Now it can also be like, I think of it similar to like, you know, maybe cloud nothings attack on memory where I love that album, but it, in 2012, that wasn't going to be my number one, but what dog like does. And I think that this is something that speaks particularly to my sensibilities. I know we've talked on this out, this, this show, or maybe on Twitter about like whether or not trail of dead source tags and codes deserves a 10. This is an album that, like, if you think that album deserves a 10, you're going to love Dogleg. And they also, they're not lying about, like, what their influences are. It's bands like Trail of Dead, Cloud Nothings, uh, Bear vs. Shark, Crash of Rhinos. And they put them together in a way that um, a lot of the bands they liked were kind of, uh, uh, like, not seen as the legends. But it's like, but they're legends to me sort of thing. And what Melee does is... They put them together in um, an album where it's like, what if you just want an album that's like all action? What if like you don't need to do a ballad as the sixth song? Like what if the song that like just slapped was the whole thing? And in 2020, I needed that energy more than anything. Like I would have loved to have um, all these albums that kind of top year end list like resonate with me. But when it really comes down to it, what is what what best suited my needs for um wanting to run around the block because all the gyms are closed or like needing to get myself out of bed because uh there's such a despairing um you know tone in the world and you know it doesn't speak to anything larger but personally like when i think of 2020 it's going to be like hearing the riff of kawasaki backflip and like for the next 20 30 minutes i feel like a superhuman being rather than someone living in 2020. All right, so my number one record, the record I think slaps the hardest, the one that I lifted the most weights to this year, was St. Cloud by Waxahachie. And you made a joke about this record already. I guess this is an album that has shown up on a lot of year-end lists. But, you know, sometimes albums, they show up on a lot of year-end lists because they deserve to, because they're a great record. And I think that this is uh, the album of, of 2020. It's a record that I loved pretty much from the moment I heard it. And it is a record that I think... For me, Mark's a high for Katie Crutchfield because her work in the past, I've liked it, but I, it, it hasn't totally won me over. Um, I always thought that you know she had a lot of talent, and there were always songs on her records that I enjoyed, but this is the record that I think it, where it all really comes together for her, where I feel like this is going to be the album that people look at as like her best record, as sort of like a career-defining album. And, uh, you know... I, I, from the songwriting to the production, I got to give a shout out to Brad Cook, who um, is really, I think, one of the great producers working in this realm of, I guess, indie Americana records, like where his albums always have this great live in the studio organic sound where he's able to get like the best musicians. It's usually like relatively small bands of like, you know, guitar based drums, maybe some pedal steel, some organ. And just aesthetically, everything is, is is in its right place on this record. Vocally, I think this is her best record. This this record really spotlights the power of her voice in such a good way. And the songs, again, I think it just unfolds in such a great, thoughtful, and yet like sort of, I, I keep using the word organic, but like it really feels like this album just, it feels like opening the windows of your house or taking a deep breath. It's very sort of fulfilling and uh uplifting to me and 
this is one of those albums that I bought on CD so I could throw it in my car uh-huh. and like take it on road trips, you know? And I feel like it is the kind of record like where, you know, you, you think of like a record like Paul Simon's Graceland or something like that, or one of these albums that just kind of gets passed down from generation to generation. I think like St. Cloud is going to be that kind of record. So yes, my list is being headed off by one of the usual suspects of 2020, but I stand by it just like in 2019, if I would have had Parasite on my list, it's like, well, that's a great film. So it should be at the top Mm -hmm. of the list. I really think that St. Cloud, when people look back on 2020, this album will deservedly be looked at as one of the great records that came out this year. Yeah. And I think it's a good, I, I, I think it's a good, I, I think it's a good record. Like I listened to it and I'm like, okay, I can understand why people are into it. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's just, I, I joke because in like every single like critics list, like begins with tw- nothing was the same in 2020. It was a year of so much upheaval and which it's is true. true. It's true. Like, what are you supposed to, I mean, people make, make fun of that, but like, what are you supposed to say? Are you supposed to say like, uh, everything was the same, you know, totally normal well, year. I mean, I, it, it, it was I a do, crazy I, year. It was like an unprecedented. It was. So but like, I, but I think what it's, else are you I think it's funny, but I think it's funny how like that contrasts with like a top, uh, five of like all artists who are like very much kind of down the middle indie who have been around for like a long time. Yeah, but time like Waxahachie, and... she's never made a record that was this critically loved. I mean, this are is you a sure. Di- I, I she's don't never know had, about that. She's never had a maybe record not, that was like to topping lists like this. I think it's right, different well, for her. Yeah. And and like again, if a person makes a great record, do you just put a less like a less famous record at the top? Like just yes. to like <laughs> see, that's, that uh, to me, pick the best records. Pick the records you like the most. Well, to me to, to me, but like but but you just said though that you would pick a more obscure record. Well, that's like me if everyone per- loved Dogleg, if everyone loved yeah. Dogleg, would you still put it on your list? Like, does uh, it... I think that would, that would be, that would, that would be kind of sick. But like, I think that it's more, um, it's more a matter of like in, in a weird way, just kind of showing the consolidation of like opinions or what have you. And like, look, this is exactly the kind of record that I expect to. Uh, top a list or whatever but you know like I think in general like rock the the kind of music I like like rock music like you can go through many many lists and not find something that like actually rocks so I don't know I think it's I, I think that you know the, the story has not has yet to be written about 2020 and yeah all, all, all these albums are deserving like they like Fiona Apple's album is great like Waxahachie's record is a very strong piece of work. Like I can see, like it is very much suited for what it's being praised for. Um, Run the jewels. We'll talk about on the next episode. Okay, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so um, the, I think one of the uh, w- one of the things with making lists that uh, people talk about is like, how can you put this list out in December first? Like, what if albums still come out? But like, for the most part, most lists are already done. Most great records don't come out in uh, December or late November uh, for the reason they might get ignored on year end lists. But for me, um, an album that came out on Monday. Uh, is a project called Growing Stone. The artist is Skylar Sarkis, who is in a band called Taking Meds. 
Uh, they're more in kind of that like snarky, like scene reportage uh, punk mold, like similar to like Self Defense Family or Drug Church. They make fun of like DIY kids from SUNY Purchase and so forth. Um, and, you know, I've always enjoyed their Twitter presence. I enjoy their perspective. But um, he, what he did with this new record, Growing Stone, it's a, it, it came out on his day of sobriety, November 30th. And it's an album that is much in the style of, say, Crooked Fingers or, um, the, I mean, we got to say Sunk Hill Moon. The first song, like, actually has, like, classical guitar playing on it. Um, and, um, or like Fred Thomas, uh, you know, a guy making this kind of ornate, uh, very shockingly pretty songs about uh, everything that happened before he got sober. Um, there are a lot of songs about, like, buying nitrous at Party City or just getting completely hammered on a family trip to Cancun. Um, and it does so in a way that's like not exploitative, um, but in a way where it, it's it's kind of like you hear a guy like talking about like what it was like before he got sober. And um, I haven't seen a lot of mention of this album yet, but nonetheless, I think it is um, for people who, I think it kind of fits in the indie cast core realm of like that that threading that needle between someone coming from like an emo perspective, but also like having kind of a rootsy uh, singer songwriter um, vibe to it as well. So I mean, traces of Bill Callahan, but basically, if you want to listen to just really uh, devastating but ornate with like you know drum machines and strings and. Uh, backup vocals, songs about like, I don't know, doing whippets or whatever, uh, or also like, you know, wanting to like, t- you know, wanting to scam people for unemployment. Uh, Growing Stone, I Had Everyone Snowed. Uh, it just came out on Monday. And I like if if this if we did this episode like two weeks later, this might be in my top five. Like I've not been knocked on my ass by an album like this uh, in quite some time this year. So um, go check that one out. Like I cannot recommend it highly enough. So the album I'm going to recommend this week is called 2020. Funny enough, it's by a band called uh. Magic Markers. This is a band that you might know if you were into like noisy rock in the early aughts. That's when they first got their start. <laughs> uh, they probably yep. are most famous for like their association with Sonic Youth. They they toured with them in the mid aughts. They put out their first record on Thurston Moore's record label uh, around that time. And for a long time, they were very prolific. They put out like a series of CDRs uh, that I think like really sort of like captured like this band. Like they had like a pretty chaotic energy live uh definitely like i guess like in the early style of like sonic youth like early records like evil and and sister like the, the noisier stuff and then like as they've progressed in their career they they have had like a sonic youth like arc in that they've become more of a conventional rock band more or less as they've aged um and and that really uh, comes to the fore on, on 2020 which is their first record in seven years yet another example of a band taking a long break and, and coming back, I think, with a pretty strong record. Uh, and and this is just like a really like great record for people. Again, like if if you're into like, I guess, like the noisier side of indie rock, the more experimental side, the more improvisational side, uh, this record will, will definitely uh, hit the spot for you. 
while also I think really developing the band's songwriting uh, to a degree that you know maybe wasn't as apparent on, on on past records. You know, again, like I said, the word conventional a couple moments ago. I don't know if that's really the right word because I think there's like a lot of songs on this record that like could be alienating for people. It's definitely you know not you know a killer's record or something. But um, again, I think if you are into that kind of I guess like sonic youthy experimental rock thing where really cool guitar tones taking songs in like sort of un, un, like surprising directions and yet also having that core of melody i think 2020 is going to be the record that you want to check out so again that's magic markers the album is 2020 that album came out in october i think but like this a- ancient history so. <laughs> yeah exactly but uh i've really kind of gotten into it like in the past like week or so um yeah. it's been big on like you know jammy twitter or deadhead twitter <laughs> people have been talking this yeah. record up a lot is, is, is sonic youth kind of considered a jam band nowadays i mean there's definitely like like people who are into that uh and again like twitter isn't like totally representative of like the larger population but people who are into like the dead and like improvisational music like sonic youth is definitely like one of the go-to like indie bands i would say um, and yeah, there is like more of like improvisational aspect to what they do than it is, than there is like for like certainly like, a lot of other bands of their ilk, but it is interesting, like how they and like pavement have both been, I think, absorbed into that world, um, uh. retrospectively. Uh, anyway, that concludes our episode of IndieCast this week. We're going to, we're, we're going to be back with, uh, an episode next week at the first part of our IndieCasties episode. That's going to be a lot of fun. So again, hit us up with your suggestions, uh, and also hit us up with, with your mailbag questions. We always love answering your questions. So thank you again for listening. We'll, we'll be back with more trends and news and reviews here on IndieCast next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 